Friends, please get this one right. Please, Th- this is so important for our life and for our faith, and and we have gotten this wrong too long, and the result is going to be many people falling, and, and I hope it is not you. I hope that it is not me. We have to get this one thing right. Hi, friends. This is Caleb Suko, and you are listening to The Gospel Today. This is the podcast where... I like to talk about gospel issues and see how those gospel issues intersect with our life, how they influence our life, how they change the way that we think, the way that we act, and the way that we relate to others and to God. And in this episode, I want to talk about something that is a bit of a heavy issue, but it's so important for us to get right. It is the issue of persecution. So stay with me, we're going to be talking about what Jesus says about this and how it is, why it is so important for us to get it right in our lives today, and especially as we look at the world and the way things are changing. Wow, if we don't get this right, we're, we're going to be in for a very difficult time. But before we get to that, let me just share with you a couple of updates about what is going on with us here in Odessa, Ukraine. If you don't know, my family and I, we serve in Odessa, Ukraine, where we've been since 2007, so already 13 years. And things, you know, things in ministry are are constantly changing, and definitely that is true for us. And the big news for our family is that this week, on Tuesday, we lost another family. No, I shouldn't say we lost it, but... (laughs) Our oldest son, Mishael, we sent him off to the States. And so we are down two children now because our daughter, Naomi, she left us about three years ago. And now our son, Mishael. So we are down to three children here. So not quite empty nesters yet, but we are moving that direction inevitably as, as we move forward. And I think probably going to be recording a maybe a video with Christina here soon about that. A lot of people have asked like what what is it what is it like? How do you deal with your children leaving? And of course for missionaries that is a that is more of a I guess difficult issue because usually our children are going somewhere far away from us and that certainly happened with our daughter going all the way to Chile, where she is now and lives with her husband and their two children. And now with our son who is in the U.S., Mishael. So appreciate your prayers for Mishael as he gets started in the U.S. He will actually be working for the first year to establish residency before he starts in his studies. So appreciate your prayers for Mishael. But otherwise, uh, a little update on COVID. Basically, we're, we're still seeing some rising numbers here in Ukraine, so things have not really improved since the last time that I talked with you. And unfortunately, that being said, it's just it's a little bit of a weird thing because we don't really have that much that much quarantine. It's not really very noticeable. People are sort of doing things the way they've always done them, except that when they go in stores, 
they put masks on. And a few things are curtailed, but but really not too much. And so thankfully for us, that's meant that we've actually been able to this, you know, since June, July, August to continue with a number of ministry things, all those other like travels have been canceled. Oh, by the way, I guess they, they are closing the borders of Ukraine again here soon by the end of August. So so they're closing it to other countries coming in, especially where the cases of coronavirus are more than than in Ukraine. But that's okay. We're here. We're here for now uh, serving and have plenty of work to do. We're not planning to go anywhere. So we're just fine just sticking it out here and continuing to serve the Lord. But anyway, so we, we've been able to meet in a larger facility. But one one of the things with our Odessa International Fellowship, that if you're not aware, I, I think I talked about that last week, but Odessa International Fellowship is a new ministry that uh, we have been involved in this year that we're looking to start an international church here in Odessa. It focuses on on ministering to internationals in English. And that is because we have quite a few Africans, uh, people from Middle East, as well as from India, Asia. And so we realized that there was a need to establish an international church that would be able to preach the gospel to these people, that would allow for ministry with these people, and that would do it in English because many of them, actually many of the students here, they study in English. The programs are in English, so they don't really know Russian. And there's just not that many places for them to go. Uh, and and really, in within the Baptist uh, evangelical Protestant churches here, uh, within the circles that we're in, there, there is no um, purely English church. No, there's none that, that I know of that, that does um, services in English completely. So appreciate your prayers for that. But one of the things that we've been doing just the last, I guess, two weeks now is been we have rented a, a hotel uh, conference, conference room. And the reason that we did that was because our, our group is pushing 20, 25 even a little bit more on some Sundays. And we were meeting in my office, which is just one big room, and and it's pretty packed. When, I mean, 20 is like maximum. So we just thought with quarantine, we just want to keep it safe, play it safe a little bit. And so we rented a this hotel room, hotel conference room, which is just about a 10-minute walk from my office. And that gives us a lot more space that we can, we can actually... Uh, observe the social distancing, although it is a it is a bit of a cost. I think it costs us about uh, thirty five dollars or so a Sunday to rent that room. So appreciate your prayers that God would provide for those needs, and and so so we've been continuing forward with that, and I really appreciate your prayers as we continue to move with that. We've also been able to do some ministry with uh, teaching seminars although that's been fairly limited because of quarantine and but we we did have one of one of our teachers was in the Carpathian Mountains this uh when was it last week last week and taught our new seminar called the barriers to the to the gospel and so we had i think 40 or 50 that were involved in the in that seminar and I'll try and find some pictures and post those on our website or on Facebook too so that you can be up to date about that. 
So just just a couple of things, family ministry that is going on here. Our kids are back to school. Well, what I mean, back to online school. So the three that are at home are all involved in their studies now and have are well in are a week. Yeah, I guess a week into the school year. So appreciate your prayers for them. It's a little bit more difficult to do home to do it at home. Uh, so we're hoping that the quarantine will be at least lifted enough that they can go to their their small private uh, Christian school that they go to. Uh, but but either way, uh, we're thankful for the school anchor school that they go to, and appreciate your prayers for them as they continue in their in their studies. All right. Let's get to the topic that I want to talk about today, and that is the idea of persecution. You know, for too long, the theology, I should say the popular theology, and maybe it's just sort of the backdrop to Western thinking, American-type thinking especially, of pursuing happiness, but too long for too long, uh, much many churches have had a theology of prosperity, and I don't necessarily mean even just you know millions of dollars and nice cars and mansions and everything, but a, a general theology of prosperity of well, God wants me to be happy, so He's going to give me the things I want. So if I serve Him, then in general, my life should be better. You know, I think there is a difference between those preachers that get out there and say, okay, if you give your seed money, then you're going to have millions of dollars, and according to your faith, you can have all of these wonderful things, and those who just say, well, you know, in general, yeah, you're, you're going to have, you know, at least a pretty good life if you do what is right, if you serve God, and if you have faith. So I think, I think there is a difference between those two outlooks, although generally they, they have the same theology behind them. But for too long, the American church especially has been influenced by this, and it has now gone all over the world as well. But it, this is not a new thing. And as I look at everything that is going on, especially I've been, you know, I usually don't follow politics, but I'm kind of following it because of the elections coming up. And one of the thing that, things that strikes me is, is the, the anger and hatred that I see specifically towards Christianity. And I think that it is a sign to us that we need to prepare for different times. For many years in the United States, Christianity has been generally respected. And we have not really seen persecution as we've seen it certainly in other countries, in communist countries, countries that have religions that are against Christianity, where it's very, very difficult to be a Christian. But as one of the uh, recent sermon series that we went through with our Odessa International Fellowship was on the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. And I want to share with you some thoughts from, really, it's the last, the last uh, blessed. Jesus has eight blesseds in this Matthew chapter 5 passage. And the last one goes like this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, of these blessedness, Jesus ends with this final one where he gives a more description to it and explains what's behind it. The others, he doesn't explain so much. But if you we look at these beatitudes, as, as some would say, or the blesseds of Matthew chapter 5, he has eight of them, and they go like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. And I think that as we look at these, we can see that Jesus is actually building towards a certain point here. What is he doing? This is really the introduction to his sermon that we see in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is the longest, the most significant sermon that we have in the Gospels that Jesus preached. It gives some of his foundational teaching. Jesus focuses on heart issues. And what he does as he opens this, as he gives this introduction, as he describes this blessed person who is, this is a description of the person who is living in the kingdom of God. This is someone who is uh, who who lives in the kingdom of God. He is a citizen of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is describing this person for us. And it was very shocking for them to hear that this person was described by certain things like being poor, mourning, being meek, having hunger and thirst, and being persecuted. All the things that you would not associate with someone who has been blessed, with someone who has God's blessing, with someone who is living in God's kingdom. And the reason that they didn't associate all of these things with that type of person was because the Pharisees really had a theology of prosperity. They were prosperous. The Pharisees, who were the religious leading people of the day, who the Pharisees and the scribes, really the teachers of the law, they were the ones who, who taught people what God's word said and who lived as examples for them. Look at Matthew chapter 23, and Jesus condemns them for their way of life. And the people would have seen that as, okay, there's the sign of God's blessing. They're wearing these amazing robes. They have positions of authority. They're well-known. They have money. They're not poor. They're not meek. They're not hungering. They're not thirsting. And certainly they're not persecuted. If anything, they are the persecutors. They are ones who are served by others. And so Jesus presents something totally different. He says, listen, we need, you need to understand the person who is a citizen of God's kingdom is one who has this poverty of spirit because he recognizes his need for repentance. And he goes on and he builds towards the end and he comes to this and they are persecuted. Now what's interesting, what is unique about this last one is that if you look at all of the others, they are really, we could say, qualities of the heart to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to meek, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. These things are all qualities uh, of the heart. But this last one is something 
that is done to you by others. And you think, well, what? So am I supposed to go out and look for persecution? What am I supposed to do here? I don't think we are supposed to look for persecution. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think that this was shocking to the people as they heard this because persecution was something, first of all, is, is, is not something anybody would want. It's something that's outside of our control. It's something that's done to me by others, so you know I don't control it. And something that nobody would ever consider to be a blessing. In fact, they would consider it as a sign of cursing, that you're cursed if you're persecuted. And it went directly against the teaching and the example of the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. Look for a second what Jesus says about these Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23, verses 4 and 6. He says, They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their little finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love to place the, on, the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues. That does not sound like persecution in any way, shape, or form, does it? Jesus was directly coming against their, the Pharisees' example and teaching of blessed are the prosperous. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are the famous. That would be how they would probably preach the same sermon that Jesus was preaching. And Jesus says, no. True joy is found in persecution. Because persecution is a sign of that a person is following not after other people, not looking for the condemnation, for the, the favor of other people, not looking for the worship of other people, not looking for power or position, but they are following after Christ. Now, last fall, I was able to go with a couple of our Ukrainian pastors to Romania and we had what we call missions roundtable there. We met with a number of, I think about 30, 35 other believers, many of them uh, church leaders from around Central and Eastern Europe. And we talked about missions. But one of the things that we did was we also visited the prison where Richard Wormbrandt was imprisoned back in the, I think, 40s and 50s, 60s. And that was a, a really interesting experience, a really worthwhile experience to actually go into the prison where Richard Wormbrandt was held for 14 years. 14 years because of his faith. And three of those years he spent in solitary confinement. Now this, I actually saw the cell where, where he was in solitary confinement. It was 12 feet underground, no lights, no windows. And they specifically made it so that there was no sound. They soundproofed everything. Even the guards wore felt on the soles of their shoes. And one of the things that Richard Warmbrandt said was that in order to keep sane, he would write a sermon every night and then preach it to himself. 
And he reportedly remembered he could recall 350 sermons that he wrote during that time. I want to read for you just a little bit from his book. If you've never read his book called Tortured for Christ, I highly recommend it. I think it is sobering and helpful to Christians to gain a proper understanding of persecution and why it is and how it is that a Christian can go through persecution with joy and come out on the other side closer to God. So let me read this quote from Tortured for Christ on page 46-47. Christians were hung upside down on ropes and beaten so severely that their bodies swung back and forth under the blows. Christians were also placed in ice box refrigerator cells which were so cold that frost and ice covered the inside. I was thrown into one while I had very little clothing on. Prison doctors would watch through an opening until they saw symptoms of freezing to death. Then they would give a signal and guards would rush in to take us out and make us warm. When we were finally warmed, we would immediately be put back into the icebox cells to freeze, thawing out and freezing to within minutes of death, then being thawed out over and over again. Even today, there are times when I can't bear to open a refrigerator. We Christians were sometimes forced to stand in wooden boxes on slightly lo- only slightly larger than we were. This left no room to move. Dozens of sharp nails were driven into every side of the box, with their razor-sharp points sticking through the wood. While we stood perfectly still, it was all right, but we were forced to stand in these boxes for endless hours. When we became fatigued and swayed with tiredness, the nails would pierce our bodies. If we moved or twitched a muscle, there there were the horrible nails. What the communists have done to Christians surpasses any possibility of human understanding. I have seen communists whose faces, while torturing believers, shone with rapturous joy. They cried out while torturing the Christians, We are the devil! We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of evil. We saw that communism is not from men, but from the devil. It is a spiritual force, a force of evil, and only can be countered with a greater spiritual force, the Spirit of God. So, Richard Warmbrandt puts it very clearly here that Communism is a, it is a force of the devil, and that persecution for sure is. But we have a greater spiritual force, the Spirit of God. But I want to continue to read a couple of other quotes from the book Tortured of Christ, Tortured for Christ. This one is from page 81. Richard Warmbrandt says, When I look back on my 14 years in prison, I was occasion, it was occasionally a very happy time. Other prisoners and even the guards very often wondered at how happy Christians could be under the most terrible circumstances. We could not be prevented from singing, although we were beaten for this. I imagine the nightingales too would sing even if they knew that after finishing they would be killed for it. Christians in prison danced for joy. How could they be so happy under such tragic conditions? Isn't that amazing to think about? Only the Christian can dance for joy in a prison. 
All right, let's 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 move on. Let me read a couple more quotes here. And then we'll go back to our text. Richard Wormbrandt writes, I can never describe the beauty of this church. Often after a secret service, Christians were caught and sent to prison. There, Christians wear chains with gladness with which a bride wears a precious jewel received from her beloved. The waters in prison are still. They receive his kiss and his embraces and would not change places with kings. I have found truly joyful Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. Persecution has always produced a better Christian, a witnessing Christian, a soul-winning Christian. Communist persecution has backfired and produced serious, dedicated Christians such as are rarely seen in free lands. These people cannot understand how Anyone can be a Christian and not want to win every soul they meet. And there's a lot of truth to that. Jesus talks about persecution, and he says that it is a blessing. And we see that in the life of Richard Wormbrandt. We see that there was a blessing in it. It's hard for us to imagine it's hard for me to imagine as I stood in the prison cell where Richard Wormbrandt was, and I stood there for two, three minutes, not 14 years. But I do recognize that it is vitally important for you and me now to assimilate into our understanding of God, of his word, and how my life relates to him, this understanding of persecution and what is true joy. Because as long as I'm seeking joy outside of those things, I know that when persecution comes, my joy will be gone. But if I can seek joy now, in the things that cannot be removed from me under persecution, then when persecution comes, my joy will not leave me. My joy will increase. And Jesus was really trying to prepare his disciples for coming persecution. So far, Jesus preached and he did see some opposition, but it wasn't. It wasn't real bad persecution yet. So not only did Jesus want to correct the prosperity theology of the scribes and Pharisees, but he wanted also to prepare his followers for coming persecution. And by the way, Jesus warned the disciples later, Matthew 24, verse 9, he said, They will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Or for instance, John fifteen twenty says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus was preparing his followers for persecution to come, and that's why 
he taught them about this and he taught them how there was blessedness in persecution, there was joy in persecution. But Jesus also, I think that he didn't want his followers to doubt their salvation experience. One thing that can happen in persecution if we're not prepared for it, is that people can doubt their salvation, think, oh, maybe God, maybe maybe I'm not really saved because God would never allow this to happen if I was. Peter talks about that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial with, when it comes upon you as a, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We need to be ready so that we're not surprised. So that we realize these tests are for our greater joy. And that they will push us closer to God if we allow them to. In fact, that's really what Jesus wanted. He wanted us to have his joy. He talks about that as he prays for his disciples in John chapter 17. He prays that they would have the joy that he had. And what joy did he have? Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. That joy was the joy of doing the will of the whole, of the Father, of the Heavenly Father. The joy that was set before him. It wasn't just, it, the joy was not in the cross. The joy was in the fact that he was being obedient to his Heavenly Father. Jesus wants us to have that joy too. There is no greater joy than the joy of being obedient to the Heavenly Father. One of the things that I think is also important for us to understand as we just think about our theology of life and our theology of joy is why does persecution exist? And really there's a simple reason Persecution exists because sin exists. Sin and righteousness exist together in this earth. And sin and righteousness are like water and oil. What happens is that those who have not found Christ yet see people who have found, and they see that there is a righteousness in them, a righteousness that is not of their own. And it bothers them. It repels them as long as they have not put their faith in Christ because that righteousness condemns them. John 3, 19 and 20 says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So people feel threatened in their sin when they feel when they see when they hear the righteousness of Christ that's a simple reason why persecution exists but another question that we can ask too is how can there be blessedness in persecution and I want to share with you a couple of ways that I think we see blessedness blessedness in persecution is not in the persecution itself 
just as it, just as the joy was not in the cross itself for Christ, but in the obedience to the Father and in the goal of what he was accomplishing, redemption and salvation for us. But God uses persecution to shape our heart, to change our focus and to strengthen our faith. And ultimately, he uses it to bring us closer to him. So, if we can think of it this way, persecution is the world and the devil pushing us. And if we respond in faith and trust in God, then they will push us directly into the arms of a loving and kind God. Persecution turns our focus away from temporary things and onto eternal things. Look up 2 Corinthians 4.17. Persecution increases our faith in God. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Persecution purifies us from certain sins we know. James 1, 2 and 4. Persecution even helps us to share the gospel. Philippians 1.12, Paul talks about how his imprisonment emboldened others to share the gospel. And we read about Richard Wormbrandt and how he said those persecuted Christians were the best witnesses to the gospel, weren't they? But we also know that persecution sends us to our knees in prayer. There are so many ways that persecution strengthens us in our faith and brings us into a closer relationship with God. And that is where the blessedness is. If, as we go through persecution, we look to God in faith, and we look to Him as the source of our joy, then there will be blessedness in persecution. Well, I think we probably also should ask here, is persecution necessary in order to be blessed? I don't think that we should seek persecution. In fact, we should pray that there will be peace. First Timothy chapter 2 talks about praying for those who are in authority and rule over us so that we can lead peaceful and quiet and godly lives. We need to pray for that. But I do believe that there will be some sort of opposition. We just cannot avoid it if we are truly living for Christ, there will be some sort of opposition to that. It may be a little, it may be a lot, it depends. So we don't need to seek it, but there will be some sort of opposition there. We don't have to have 14 years in a communist prison in order to experience God's blessing in our life. But we do need to respond to faith in all the difficulties of our life. And we do need to respond to faith even when there are no difficulties in our life and then we'll experience God's blessing. And the final question that I think we should answer here is how can I prepare myself for persecution? We can't expect to be successful in persecution unless, friends, unless we are daily working to deepen the roots of our faith. Jesus talks about this very clearly and to the point in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, the parable of the soils, where we have this one rocky soil, 
And what does Jesus say? As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wonderful. I hope this is you. I hope this is me. We receive the word, the gospel. We receive it with joy, but the next part is not so good. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. We need to be careful of those surface Christians. I need to be careful that I'm not a surface Christian. This goes back to the teaching of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is going to the heart and saying, listen, the true citizen of the kingdom of God is one who has a changed heart. He is poor in spirit. He has repented. And the warning that we have here from Matthew 13 about the rocky Christian, the Christian in the rocky soil, I'm not sure if he's a Christian at all, (laughs) but the warning is that here's a guy that he responded with joy, but only on the surface. So how do we gain that root of faith? First of all, I think we need to focus on the eternal truths of the gospel as sources of joy over temporary experiences. There is such a push in today's world to create experiences for yourself. Have a bucket list. Go do the things that make you happy. Go and hike all the top peaks and visit all the historical cities and travel all over the world. Those are temporary experiences. They don't give lasting joy. Those experiences will not help you to endure under persecution and hardship. I'm not saying that you can't receive some sort of some sort of a good effect from those things. You can, and, and let's enjoy them if, if God has given those experiences to us. But don't make them the source of your greatest joy. Make the eternal truths of the gospel the source of your greatest joy. Make the promises of Jesus Christ to those who believe your source of joy. Make fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit your source of joy. Make worship of God your source of joy. Make fellowship with other believers your source of joy. Make reading God's word your source of joy. Make knowing and finding out who God is on a daily basis your source of joy. And that source of joy can never be taken away from you. And your root of faith will grow deep. Focus on eternal truths as sources of joy over temporary experiences. The second thing we need to do is focus on God's word and its power in my life. I think it's interesting that it specifically says here, he who hears the word and immediately receives it, and then when persecution arises on account of the word, 
it is it is the word here. Unfortunately, the word did not really have a root in this person's life. It did not really have power in this person's life. What is the change agent in your life? If it's not God's word, then what is it? If it's not God's word, it doesn't have power to get you through tribulation and persecution. Focus on God's word. Learn it. Know it. Study it. Use it to examine your life. Do everything possible to change your life so that it comes under the authority of God's word, so that your life is submitted to the truths of God's word. Let it dig deep. Give it power in your life, and it will give you power for life. The third thing that I think that we can do to prepare ourselves for persecution is to focus on our responsibilities as children of God and followers of Christ. What kind of responsibilities do I have? What kind of service do I have in the church? What kind of responsibility to share the gospel do I have? Where am I serving? Where am I teaching? Where am I sharing the gospel? How am I serving the Lord? Those who are caught up in their service of God are often just so busy doing that that persecution is just sort of like a little, nothing more than a little pebble in their shoe. Those who are caught up serving themselves find persecution to be a wall that they cannot scale because it stops them from serving themselves. And finally, just just two more things. I think that we need to focus on the Holy Spirit and His promises for us. His, I mean, Jesus specifically talks about that in the end of the Gospel of John, how He's sending the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a comforter. He's going to help them remember all things. He's going to help them to speak in, in times of persecution. He is going to be with them. He's going to give them power to go out and preach the gospel. So let's not forget that we are never called to go through persecution and tribulation alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. And finally, focus on Jesus as the true joy giver. Make Jesus your true joy giver. Turn to him because he will not leave you in persecution. He will be there with you. And I think that that's really what the author of Hebrews is getting at when he tells us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He says in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That believer who really focuses on Jesus is going to get through persecution just fine. There's a lot of persecution going on in the world today, friends. It might not be where you are, but you would be wise to prepare yourself for it. 
you will be better off to prepare yourself for it. You will be better off now, and you will be better off in eternity. Because to prepare for persecution is really just to prepare our hearts for the joy that we will have in eternity, isn't it? All right, friends, I want to thank you for listening to the gospel today. I do believe that this is a very vital gospel issue. It is an issue that we need to take hold of as Christians and we need to get right. Because if we don't, then we're just selling a gospel with rocks in it. We're selling a gospel that will be good as long as life is good. But as soon as life turns sour, our gospel dries up. Let's not sell that kind of a gospel. Let's not preach that kind of a gospel. Let's give a gospel that gives root, gives deep root in the fertile soil of the joys that only God can give us through Jesus Christ. Joys that do not disappear under persecution, but that appear clearer and stronger than ever before. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have a chance to check out our website, superfamily.org. We are serving here in Ukraine as uh, members of ABWE, and we are supported by the gifts of churches and individuals. So if you feel a God leading you to uh, partner with us, we really appreciate that. And you can go to our website, superfamily.org slash support and you can find out how you can support us through through our uh, through our agency there we really appreciate that because that helps keep us on the ground here working share the gospel in ukraine with ukrainians with nationals teaching ukrainians how to share the gospel how to do how to disciple and seeing god do a great work throughout ukraine and beyond ukraine and all, as always, if you would like to connect with us, just send us a note. You can go to superfamily.org slash ask, or you can write a note to record a message, whatever you'd like to do. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll try to get back to you. All right, friends, for now, be blessed and have joy in all situations because you have Christ.